You are listening to True Crime Twins, a true crime podcast hosted by Chloe and Melina Cantor. True Crime Twins is produced by Crawlspace Media. Welcome back to True Crime Twins. I'm Chloe. I'm Melina. Thank you for listening. Yes, today I think is going to be a very interesting episode. It's a little bit different from what we normally do. We're talking about fugitives. This has been a subject that we've always found very interesting. Personally, I just find it fascinating to have the skill set to be able to live off the grid. It's a very mysterious circumstance. You know, they're not heroes. They're not someone that you sympathize with or someone that you root with, uh, root for. But nonetheless, it's interesting to imagine how someone can successfully do this and to sort of determine, you know, are they still out there? Are they deceased? And there are a couple of cases that we'd like to highlight that have really piqued our interest. Yes. um, All of these people are wanted by the FBI. I think that's something that these cases have in common is that social media wasn't as prevalent. It was more like early 2000s. So I think that this made it way easier for people to drop off the map. But they're still unaccounted for. People don't know where they are. Yeah, I think in modern society, I don't think these people would have been as successful. But the fact is that they still haven't been apprehended, which either means that they are thinking quicker or smarter or that they're just not around anymore. Yeah, I remember being younger and being kind of fearful of Whitey Bulger because nobody knew where he was. And a lot of people were like, he's probably dead because, you know, he's so old now. But he was smart. He had like things hidden away in like different states, like IDs and like money. And he was eventually found just like living like a quiet life in Santa Monica. And I remember that day when he was found, I was just like, wow, I can't believe that he was gone for so long. And like, I kind of thought he would never be found found but i feel like that there's hope for some of these people to be found i hope yeah there's still a chance that justice can be served in these cases i think it's common for people to say oh he's probably dead by now but in cases like whitey bulger like you know osama bin laden yep that's another one (laughs) who was killed but you know when they did that raid he was alive and he had been alive all that time so yeah it is possible it does happen so um I mean, I can't even imagine what it's like to be a family member of a victim and having the person responsible out there Mm -hmm. living freely as a fugitive. So that's another good reason for us to discuss them because it's spreading awareness as well. So the first person that we want to talk about is an FBI 10 most wanted fugitive. His name is Robert William Fisher. He is quite an unusual one. (laughs) He kind of has like an army guy type look he's very tall and has like a shaved head and like erect posture like I think he had back problems he got injured somehow so his they say his posture was extremely exaggerated very like um lordosis is the clinical term but that's a distinguishing characteristic about him but he piqued my interest because of just the disgustingness of what he did The circumstances were that in 2001, this is in Scottsdale, Arizona. So Robert William Fisher is married to a woman named Mary and they have two small kids, a boy and a girl. And they're kind of a sort of like rigid type of um, sort of tense atmosphere type of family. Like she was like a yes sir type of wife and he was very kind of um, 
closed off and distant and people said he was kind of like a cruel person there were a church going family right uh you know active members of the small community they were in yes or i guess yes and they had ties to the community but i think that robert started to sort of withdraw he had issues from his childhood apparently his parents got divorced and that really changed him and he like you know wanted the perfect family and I think that he was quite concerned about having this image of the family man, but things started to change. He like cheated on his wife. He went to a, you know, gross massage parlor and like got with a prostitute there and maybe she found out about it or maybe he, you know, he gives me the impression of being kind of like authoritarian and kind of scary to live with. And maybe she was just like, I'm over this, you know, and she was telling her friends that she wanted to divorce him. And I don't think that turned out very well. I thought that he got a, ur- a urinary tract infection from the sex with the prostitute. Yes, he apparently fell ill for a couple of days. Like, yikes. So this marriage has fallen apart and everything's kind of deteriorating for this, you know, formerly picture-perfect family. What yes. happens next, Melina? So I think that this, this obviously this whole thing has a huge um, degree of being planned out he the day before made like a you know a modest withdrawal from the atm of like 280 dollars and the next day he probably got into an argument with his wife about the divorce he killed her so why do you say they got into an argument did someone hear them arguing yes they did um several hours like a long time like before the before you know they were found but we'll get to that so something happened in that house and he kills his wife and he kills his kids and he okay so it's kind of awful to think about he like slit their throats like sort of like you know like a savage like hunter type thing it's like how you kill an animal and he was an experienced hunter yes an avid outdoorsman he was also a vet and knew you know survival skills treating his wife and children like he would treat his prey yes and so he did that and as well, he shot his wife in the head after that. So it's like another one for good measure. So then he rigs a gas pipe in his house and he lights a candle and he splits with his dog and, you know, goes off on the run. And a couple of hours after he left, he has a great, you know, head start. The house blows up like into smithereens and like houses are shaking from like a half mile radius all around it and then that's how the bodies were discovered and the last trace of him was his car was found north of scottsdale like in the woods near a bunch of different native american reservations and most interestingly because those are kind of very like no trespassing areas so his car was found in the middle of the woods and his dog was left behind and that's it nobody knows where he is now but i think that with this degree of planning he was maybe trying to throw people off by heading north because arizona is close to mexico so i wonder but some people theorize for some reason that he committed suicide so let's just back up a little my understanding is that the place where his car was found there are many caves yes that were not sufficiently explored so i probably because they were dangerous or something so i think that the suicide theory could be based on the fact that he reasonably could have gone to one of those caves succumbed to the elements and his remains could reasonably still be out there 
you know what I think? I think that that's the easy solution or like the easy answer because why wouldn't he just kill himself? Why wouldn't he just like get blown up in the house? You know, he had a gun. It's not unheard of for a family annihilator to commit suicide in another location. Really? Well, we talked about this in another episode. The current Amber Alert in Florida with the little baby yes. who's a week old. The father killed the baby's mother, grandmother, and great-grandmother and then drove hundreds of miles north and killed himself in the woods. So, I mean, people change their minds. People's thought processes develop in different ways based on many different factors. So I don't think it's outside of the realm of possibility, but the whole thing seemed very meticulously planned and that would have been a major deviation from the plan. So it's possible that the car was left there to mislead. It's interesting, too, that he would take the dog and then abandon the dog. But again, he could have just changed his mind along the he way. He saved the dog's life. Like, I guess the dog was more important or whatever. That's not the first crime that we've heard of where someone has more compassion for the dog than their human family members. Yeah, I think that some people have, like, you know, more compassion for animals some, like than humans sometimes, but, like, not to that extent. I wonder if there's something to that. I think, obviously, people are capable of forming attachment bonds with their animals and it's completely nonverbal. I wonder if someone like someone that's capable of being a family annihilator, someone that's able to detach in that way, sociopath types, maybe it's easy for easier for them to empathize in a nonverbal, non-traditional, non-human way. A special relationship. Like didn't Hit wasn't Hitler a vegetarian? Yes. So <laughs> on Yeah, something. he loved his dog. Cool. Um <laughs> Wow. Yeah, that's that's not that's not fun. But he's still missing. He is about six feet tall. He would be in his fifties now ish. Or you know, he's actually about sixty. He has brown hair and blue eyes. He could very well have no hair or gray hair, white hair. Um, I'll include photos of all the people we talk about in the Instagram. So you you like, you know, can know what he looks like more. <laughs> You'll see he has one of those very typical Ted Bundy looks to him. And like with a twist, you know, like he, he kind of looks scary to me. <laughs> but anyway, there's a $100,000 reward for his capture. So incentive, if anybody knows who we're talking about here. He committed a extremely heinous and unthinkable crime. And, you know, we can only speculate as to as to why but it's almost like rather than have his traditional family be tarnished in a way that maybe you know maybe he grew up in a really religious background yeah where nothing was worse than divorce so he literally would rather commit a heinous violent atrocity atrocity and potentially live off the grid forever rather than have a divorce yeah some people theorize that the murder of his children were mercy killings because he didn't want them to go through what he went through. He was quite affected by this divorce, you know? I think he talked about it with his coworkers. You know, which is kind of, you know, it, it's it, that's interesting. So what kind of what kind of skewed cognition is that to think that death is better for a child than having broken up parents? It's kind of maybe it's like Chris Watts. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't see what he did like, really as a mercy killing, but it's like death. Death is better than than the alternative of facing whatever, than something different than what they had planned. Right there, it's all about their image. It's all about what they portray and project onto the world. And with narcissists, 
this is everything to them. And, you know, I remember at UConn, my, I took a class on personality disorder specific, specifically, and the professor said that if you make a narcissist really angry, if you threaten his image of himself, like, they'll, they'll fucking kill you. <laughs> That's definitely pertinent to this discussion. And I think, you know, another interesting thing that I've heard about narcissists is that they'll never cry for someone else. If you see a narcissist crying, they're crying for themselves. So once these narcissistic extensions of himself are, you know, escaping from his grip, he's about to lose that. I, I could see that switch flipping. Yeah, I kind of think that's what happened with OJ, but that's for another day. If you see someone resembling Robert Fisher, please contact your local FBI office. What was the reward again, Melina? $100,000. These with these FBI fugitives, the the reward is like always like minimum $100,000 because, you know, they're these people are really dangerous. Like if he's alive he's probably taking advantage of somebody you know or, or like you know maybe has like a wife and they have no idea who he is you know you know highlighting these fugitives i feel like john walsh i love him he's honestly like a huge inspiration i think that he is so assertive and and doesn't care about you know coming off too passionate no and his focus on fugitives and the success of his shows yeah it's for itself it does so at least we get to channel him a little bit who are we talking about next i think that we will talk about another 10 most wanted fbi fugitive with the name jason Derek brown he was in the same sort of time period as robert fisher in the commission of his crime but this guy is really kind of a different personality he was arrogant like robert fisher but he was like real showy and he loved everybody thinking that he was like really wealthy and like well to do he had fancy cars he'd go out and was sort of like the life of the party like looked like a beach bum surfer dude you know he had like blonde highlights and he was like decent looking he kind of he looked like an average guy kind of like the person we just talked about also people thought that he was very nice and generous person lots of fun he was kind of a confidence artist a con artist he um apparently had like a modeling agency scam like one of those guys but he was like he would recruit people and say that young co-eds yeah and just like con them so he would do things like that he had businesses and he would tell people that he was like a golf club importer like an international one and he he came off well you know he has his mba he can speak multiple languages and I think people found him to be very credible, but he was kind of just, you know, bullshitting. And he reminds me a lot, actually, of Andrew Cunanan, who killed Versace, because that was his whole thing. He loved, you know, paying for everybody's drinks and, like, talking about how cultured he is and amazing. And it's very, like, obnoxious and cocky. So that's what comes to my mind when well, I think of Jason Brown. When someone behaves that way, when someone is clearly so focused on material things, it's honestly a huge pet peeve of mine, and it really rubs me the wrong way. When someone's, uh, you know, sense of validation is so clearly rooted in the approval of complete strangers based on material things, and it's something that bugs me. But you know what? That pet peeve is so is clearly justified because these people are so out of it that they sometimes are murderers 
they, they, they think that you know certain things are more important than what's really important in life which is like you know being kind to one another not murdering one another right and i mean clearly i'm 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 being silly most mostly but i i do think there's something to be said about someone who holds so much stake into sort of the mirror that society sees you as mm-hmm. and taking so much uh validation and sense of worth from that and it's fragile and it's fleeting and when it all comes crashing down that's what leads to catastrophe with these kinds of personalities yes so this background it really comes into what he ended up doing so he was staking out a movie theater he i think was in a desperate situation like what we were talking about his image is so important to him he wants everybody to think that he's so well off but he was facing a lot of debt because of the you know these businesses he i don't think was as you know skilled or as clever as he put himself out to be he was having issues you know and i think that he felt kind of cornered so he you know took a gun class got got his like permit to carry or whatever he was staking out a movie theater this is also in arizona by the way and on the monday after thanksgiving weekend so you know that's a big money maker for movie theaters you know the holiday weekend an armored car guard pulls up to this movie theater and jason brown is hiding you know watching staking it out um the guardsman goes in to the movie theater collects fifty six thousand dollars in cash when he comes out jason Derek brown comes out literally before i think this guy could even blink he shoots him six times just like boom 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 like he had no chance it was complete execution Mm -hmm. took the money ran into an alleyway where his bicycle was this is like a weird visual for me his bicycle was waiting for him and he you know cycled off and he his bike was found like a half mile away so i'm assuming that he had a car like either his own car somebody waiting for him to leave so that's what he did he murdered somebody in complete cold blood horrible just so he could maybe maintain his lifestyle so this was in 2004, and he has not been seen since. The reward for information leading to his apprehension is $2,000. Have a look at his photo. He looks like Sean Penn. Yeah, apparently there was a Sean Penn stunt devil who got arrested because they were like, that's him. I'm not even kidding. It's like crazy. He, he, looks, he, you know, he looks like he blends in. They say he could easily be your neighbor, you know? And what's weird is that his dad's also a, a confidence artist and a fugitive. I like how you say confidence artist. Why do you say it like that? Because people don't know what con means when people say con man or con artist. People don't know what that means. And they say con all the time like as a verb and they don't even know where the word comes from. So it's your responsibility to educate the public. I don't know. Maybe maybe I say things that I like to say. <laughs> It's it's fine. I was honestly just wondering. I, I think I think it's good because people can be like, oh yeah, that's why that's why it's called con artist. So does beware come from be wary or be aware? Which one? I don't know. <laughs> well, we'll figure it out and then we'll educate the public. Yeah, we might forget to do that because we're talking about this. <laughs> so, just speaking of confidence artists, I find that breed fascinating on its own i think you know there's a lot of elements that come with it there's lack of guilt lack of remorse 
the ability to lie, maybe even the necessity to be, uh, you know, a pathological liar. It's kind of a true sociopath. I think, yeah, he. I think you have to be to do what he did. It was very just like, you know, chilling. And there's also the charisma. So, you know, there's the sociopaths versus the psychopaths. So there's the people that are, you know, disorganized more on the fringes. And then there are the people that are charismatic and mm-hmm. can kind like of hold up a con. So I would say that he's the psychopath. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Rather than the sociopath because he was able to fool people. Yes. And people don't think that he might be dead like they do with Robert Fisher. He was seen, I think, in 08 by a friend of like somebody that actually knew him in Salt Lake City where he has ties. I think he lived there. He um, pulled up to him at a like a stoplight and he turns and looks and then Jason Brown turns and looks and they like mutually recognize each other. And it's like in the movie, like Jason just goes like goes through the red light. So like he, he's around like he's, you know, like that's a confirmed sighting. They consider that confirmed. And that's, you know, that's the last one. So where do you think he is now? I think he could be. Um, hidden in the Mormon religion you know he uh, was a missionary he is in that do you faith. think do you think they would accept him based on his sins maybe he went he went somewhere else and they don't know what he did right that's and he's true. just like a like a loner that you know needs help finding his way the churches probably don't all communicate with each other and, no I don't think and have so his picture on bulletin board but also his family definitely helped him you know like there's no question about it I think one of his siblings actually got like arrested for helping him but I don't know what the extent is at this point. But I think that, you know, they definitely gave him a head start at the very least. Sort of like um, Jesse Hollywood. He's a different killer. We'll talk about another time. But his dad totally helped him go to like, you know, South America. And he was a fugitive for a long time. And, you know, being sent money makes it easier. But, you know, who knows? Maybe he's getting sent money. I think that's more common, you know, as long as the people have resources, I think you'll see that they will do the wrong thing and help people avoid justice. Mm-hmm. There was a case in Connecticut where this young guy in, I think, the town of Darien uh, was raping younger women, and he was living in Switzerland or something <laughs> for years before he was arrested and, and went to jail. Yeah, and somebody was helping him probably. It was his family. He had rich parents. Yeah, so it's... It's not unheard of at all. It's so. ironic because, like, maybe they could have helped him out of this black hole... And he has, you know, he stole this money, but he couldn't probably like pay any of his debts off because he had he was too focused on being on the run. That's probably what he probably wasn't planning ever paying those debts off. What am I talking about? Probably not. But I do think in, you know, in some cases, not all, if if they don't have the skill to be able to be survivalists and to be able to be off the grid, they absolutely need the connections or the and resources. And that's the difference. Like Robert Fisher is sort of like a man of the land. Like he's like, you know, skilled. He like he could probably survive. He can probably be in one of those shows. You know, like there's one called Alone to see how long somebody can last out in the wilderness alone. I feel like he would win that show. He, he could do that. And then there he are other need people. And there are other people that, you know, depend on their on their savvy, their intelligence, their they quick need luxury. Uh, and then there are others that depend on their connections and their resources. One of those people is Yasser Saeed. Oh, yeah. This one. Yeah, this one's very I find to be the most disturbing. Like if you compare it to the last two people we talked about. Um, Yasser in the state of Texas in 2008, shot and killed his two teenage daughters, 
Amina and Sarah. He was a taxi cab driver and they were in his back seat when he shot them. If you listen to the 911 call that was placed by one of the girls, it is horrifically disturbing you know how much they were suffering how much fear and distress they experienced in their final moments melina what happened how did this father end up in this position where he's murdering his own children it's another incredibly cruel and controlling man he is his nationality is egyptian he was born in egypt he was very much involved in traditional muslim practices but i think you know to like a maybe different extent you know he wanted his he wanted to like arrange a marriage with his 16 year old daughter with a friend of his who was in his 40s in egypt like obviously he's not a good guy he married his, their his daughter's mother when he was like 30 and she was 15 so this this guy's sick you know he's He's controlling and he's looking for vulnerable people that he can overpower. Absolutely. So so he sees that his daughters are rejecting his, you know, views on life and way of living. He has this thing where, you know, he found his wife's family to be like American trash, quote unquote. And I think he started to see his wife as American trash, too. And like I think he was he was hateful of, you know, certain customs. And, and it's hard to um, – you, you don't want to be critical of different cultural customs and cultural differences, but – No, is this like his personality? No, it, it <laughs> seems to be a pervasive personality quality of his where he seems to think that he knows what is best, what is holy, what is right, and he feels like he has the right to impose all of those opinions as if they are fact onto the people that he's supposed to be loving towards. Yeah, and he is kind of um, Mike Turney-esque. He actually would videotape his daughters all the time. Like, it's a very reminiscent, like, similar video of um, Syed, Syed, sorry. He was videotaping his daughter while she was at work. He was, like, zoomed in, and he was like, she's smiling too much. Like, she's in trouble. And it was just, it was so gross and, like, creepy. And he was you know hurting them and emotionally hurting them too but he was also sexually abusing them he definitely very much saw them as sexual objects like his own kids and it's you know it's ironic because i'm pretty sure that would be against his religion and and against his you know customs it's all hypocritical yeah it's 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 taking what applies to what you want and what you need so it's funny, you know, the comment, oh, she's smiling too much. You know, I've I had a boyfriend once that was very jealous and in controlling. And that was an issue that he had with me was that he thought that I was too smiley with people. So when I hear that a father is criticizing a daughter for that, it immediately rubs me the wrong way, because no matter what, even if it's a boyfriend girlfriend relationship, it's it's still a little much. It's still controlling. It's still like why is he following her around and spying on her it's creepy as hell and why are you acting jealous yeah about your daughter it's 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 like you own he owns them that's what he sees it as you know and and they're rejecting his 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 life his livelihood what everything he believes in and you know he's abusing them and making their lives horrific and they were planning on running away and one day they were kind of lulled into a false sense of security the dad was like I'm ready to forgive you guys i want to take you out to dinner just us three um so he takes them in his taxi cab and 
ambushes them with gunfire. He kills them. And this has been described as an honor killing. Right, because I don't fully understand those, do you? In, in I think, Muslim cultures, honor killings are justified as, you know, the, the victim has not been pure and they deserve to die as a result. Yeah. And I think that when it's, I think it can be done by the patriarch of a family or, or another male family member and it's considered justified. Yeah, but I think that he knew that in general, like maybe maybe he found it to be an honor killing, but he still knew that what he did was still wrong. Like he knew that he wasn't supposed to do that. At he, the very least, he knew that it was illegal in the United States. Correct. He He ditches the cab and vanishes. Like, obviously he planned this because how is there no trace of him? People actually think that he might be a taxi driver in New York City. People may have seen him at the Newark airport. And he kind of has a distinctive look. You know, he has like a very, very thick mustache. And I, th- I think he has prominent features. I'm looking at a picture of him right now. He's tall also. He's six foot two. And he has like a... A medium build but i think the distinguishing factor is definitely the mustache but people think that he's out there and there is a one hundred thousand dollar reward out for him so i believe that with each of these cases that there was a lot of planning involved so this is a life that they chose for themselves they chose to be fugitives from justice and constantly on the run instead of you know facing their rightful punishment but i wonder i put myself in those shoes and would it even be worth it they made the choice when they committed their crime, when they committed their premeditated acts, that this was going to be the outcome. This was the bed that they made. Only they really know if it was all worth it in the end. I can't imagine that their quality of life is very good. No. Yasser is probably... anxiety. I, at least I would. Yasser is probably back in Egypt. That's what the speculation has been. Really? So it's possible that people who have connections like that and who can you know get away especially internationally you know they're not looking over their shoulders they're not looking over their shoulder they're not sleeping with one eye open they're not surviving in the woods they're so i think unfortunately out of three people that we talked about i think yasser saeed is probably having the easiest life but no i don't think that it's worth it i i don't i don't understand being so short-sighted and so short fuse that you are willing to sacrifice everything your freedom livelihood and basically all of your rights just to do an act born out of anger or greed that you know is in violation of the law and is actually one of the most serious crimes that you could possibly commit it's just i think it's incomprehensible and absolutely not worth it in the end (laughs) i remember being younger like i got into reading about these fugitive cases when i was really young just like when i got into reading about missing persons cases and i remember you know thinking oh like wow it must be so interesting you know, to, to be on the run like i thought it was very cool almost because i was like how do they do it where are they what are they doing do they have a new name do they look different it's- i still do i still yeah. I, I still feel that way it's it's very very interesting and it's like i said these people aren't heroes they've committed atrocities but it's almost like an anti-hero to think about, like, almost like a folklore kind of hero to think yes. about someone who's able to defeat all the odds and outsmart everyone. It's like their dream come true. You know, they're they're better than everybody else. You know, they're outsmarting them all. 
I just think it would be a miserable, miserable, lonely life. But these we find that with fugitives that these people have a great ability to leave their past behind. They kind of lack the feeling of nostalgia. So that makes it way easier to start something different, to do something else. And I'm sure that they enjoy the status of being an unfound fugitive. An outlaw. Yeah, an outlaw, a legend. I think that's what they would like because what these three men have in common is that they're very narcissistic and it was very malignant force in their lives. A loss of control. That's what set it off. So I think this new label that they now have, I'm I'm sure they're fine with it. (laughs) Yeah, I guess it sort of makes them, I guess, powerful in a terrible way, but... Never less powerful. But anyway, these are some crazy stories. Um, I hope that they were fun to listen to. If you're bored in quarantine, feel free to scroll through the FBI website, look at some fugitives and just look out for those faces when you're out there. And talk about them. You know, people, these are engaging stories. I, I hope that people, like, I I remember these, I, I you know, for many, many years now. And we talk about how much we love John Walsh and his show has like we've said has led to the apprehension of fugitives and that is a very exciting feeling when someone that's committed a terrible act has finally been caught and they can finally face justice and sort of feeling that relief and imagining how the victim's family must feel so yeah spread the word remember their faces uh and hopefully some justice can be served